the case for it the financial case for it doesn't make sense and i think at the crux of it we want to make you know agriculture financially viable alternative for young person to take to take up and a financially viable alternative to a traditional job and the example i always use is the uber example you know none of us found the cab industry to be exciting in the beginning it was a very mm. dull boring industry but uber said to you hey match you know if you buy a um, a toyota corolla and you're paying 4.5 installments uh, per month but if you put it on uber it's going to make it 35k that match is enough to get you excited about the cab industry and putting you know a car onto uber so we want to do a similar case with the ecosystem approach where we're putting the farmer um the new the first generation farmer in a position where they know how they're going to get the products they need how they're going to get the services that they need how they're going to sell their products and the one platform that closes the loop is our funder dashboard which is where we pretty much match big funders in the country with the right farmers so if you think about um a big funder it's usually a big company that's in Cape Town or that's in Johannesburg you know that has access to vast resources uh but the farmer that probably meets their mandate is probably in Kwakwa they're probably in Hazyview Umtata in some of the most remote regions of the country so through the funder dashboard we able to basically match the right funder with the right farmer so if you think about it a funder has a funding mandate they get on and they say look i want to fund a black female farmer who's doing more than a million rand in revenue so we can filter and show um the funder the the farmers that meet sort of that um that framework which makes it easier so in a nutshell the ecosystem approach is to level the playing field we're not there to read do what's already being done but to give better access from the Lucha podcast network this is the mass startup podcast the mass startup podcast profiles the most talented creators impactful entrepreneurs and high performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights learnings and tactics to help you build the things that you believe in this podcast is sponsored by sage accounting Sage gives entrepreneurs and small businesses the information, insights and tools they need to succeed. Sign up for a 30-day trial to start using Sage accounting in your business using the offer code SAGEMASH. The last time I spoke to you, we actually did this in my apartment. Um so welcome to the studio. You're officially actually the first person I've interviewed in the actual studio for my actual podcast. I am very honored. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very honored. And it sort of speaks to the impact that you've had like how would you summarize the last year or so? The last year or so has been incredibly amazing. Um for myself and the team, um we reached a major milestone actually around the time that we did our interview last time. Um we were actually on the verge of closing our, our seed round. So prior to that we were bootstrapped uh, the business was funded on revenue it was also fund, funded on founders money um so we closed the seed round um of about uh, 1.2 million dollars 
Um, it always sounds better when you say it in dollars. <laughs> but we closed the seed round um, with one of the biggest, um, uh, the JST listed company and one of the biggest distributors um, of chemical products uh, or chemical inputs for farmers um, nationwide. And that was a real major milestone for us. It put us in a position where we could start, you know, building a team that we that we've always wanted to build. So we're able to layer on a whole lot more expertise. Um, we brought on a really great guy on our fresh produce marketplace side. Um, he used to be head buyer at Spa, you know, managed over 3 billion rand there, um, over 900 different stores. He would have been the guy that we would have been pitching to, you know, to get onboarded by the retailer. So he's running our fresh produce marketplace. Our product team, you know, we've gotten real, really good um, sort of devs on the system. Um, and yeah, it's just been a really exciting year. Um, our inputs app has been in pilot. So the pilot, we did a pilot last year with a group of farmers, primarily from SAB. Um, and the pilot was hugely, hugely successful. We've now launched uh, the inputs app, which is part of why I'm here today. Um, the inputs app went out about a month ago and we're now rolling it out uh, nationwide. The fresh produce uh, marketplace app shouldn't be far away as well. Should be coming in about six months or so. So it's been a really positive and exciting year i think with covid you would think it would have been a really difficult year but the yeah. industry we're in um you know the pain points we're speaking to covid actually amplified amplified our success we did our funding round during level five i think that's a story that we'll want to tell one day yeah yeah and um wh what would you say you know taking on seed funding um has changed about the way you run your business or just changed the pressures yeah. that come with being the founder? I think, you know, I'm a very wild, wild west guy. You know, I'm used to the bootstrap, jumping the bikey life. But I think over the last year or so, I, I almost tell the team I've, I've had to become a real CEO, <laughs> you know, really think about, you know, how we're structuring the team. One thing that's come across is company culture, you know, and having that defined. You know, in the early days, it's myself, Matt, Jackson, X, we all have our own culture and it's easy, it comes naturally. But the more people you get on the team, Things like making sure that the company culture is properly structured, makes sense. You know, we've had to set up a proper company board. Um, we've set up an advisory board, you know, making sure that you keep, you know, your boards in the loop with your plans, with your strategy, you know, getting them on board, kind of following that, that entire flow. So I think the past year has been huge growth for me um, from a hiring perspective. You know, it's been my role has we're basically moving away more and more from the wild wild west and from bootstrapping into actually building sort of a solid entity that has various accountability structures um and i think yeah company culture has been one of the things that's really stood out um and that we've had to define put on paper and it guides who we hire it guides how we work you know we're not we don't believe in a hierarchical structure so it's not your it's not caridas holding you accountable or your boss we don't believe in that it's almost like we have a document that we all hold each other accountable to and anyone in the team can hold me accountable to that particular document so it's been an exciting period you know moving from bootstrap level to now beginning to build a proper business yeah and how would you say you've had to grow as a person because of that change in like from bootstrapping and trying to figure things out to hey now you know you've got some significant traction you've got significant investors yeah um how have you had to grow as a person and how has it changed you i think it's changed me in a major way in the sense that now i have to be a whole lot more intentional so what i about my time you know what i do when i wake up 
you know, because also the workload now that we're rolling out this product, there's a lot of media that we're doing, still meetings with partners, getting our crop advisors on board. You know, it's been a whole, a much bigger and bulkier workload. Um, and I've had to be more intentional about what I say, intentional about what I do. Um, I think before I was, but it almost came naturally. But now each and every hour of the day, what time do I wake up? What time do I go to bed? I know if I sleep at half past nine as opposed to half past eight, I'm not going to have as good a day. So I know that I'm, in order for me to lock in um, to have a proper day by half past eight, I need to be in bed. So that 3, 4 a.m. I'm up. You know what I mean? So it, it, it's put me in a position where I've had to just be very intentional about every sort of various elements of, of my life and how they, they affect the business. Yeah. So let's actually talk about the launch of the Inputs app and what that actually means. Yeah. So the Inputs app is very exciting. So people out there, you know, know Kula largely on the market access side. You know, Kula connecting farmers to markets. And I think the definition that's out there, if you ask someone, it's very much, you know, Kula connects small-scale farmers to market, right? And that definition has had to change, right? So at this stage, you know, as we were rolling that out, we quickly, you know, realized that not every farmer can supply to the big suppliers, you know, can supply internationally or can supply to the big supermarket chains. They need to meet certain food safety requirements. So if you buy a banana at your local supermarket and it gives you diarrhea for a week, you're not going to be excited just because that banana came from an emerging farm. <laughs> you know, we've had listeriosis. So it's important that we put food safety at the top. But also for the integrity of the platform, you can imagine if one farmer delivers rotten potatoes um, to one of our suppliers or two farmers do that, it kills the integrity of the platform, but also the adoption from an e-commerce perspective. So the input marketplace really came as a result of our market access effort, where we had about 85% of the user base who just weren't ready, who just did not have the required you know, certification that requires food safety requirements in order for them to actually supply into the formal market. So that meant instead of us discarding them and saying, you know what, we're going to chuck you away and then we're going to focus on a much bigger guy, we, we realized that it's actually very difficult for them to get ready. So they don't know where to find, you know, the right products. And even if they do know where to find the right products, there's a good chance that they're driving 10 kilometers in one direction to the chemical guy, 15 kilometers in one direction to the fertilizer guy, to the seed guy, the animal health guy, the crop nutrition guy. So farmers are almost, you know, I always use the cassette analogy where, you know, music has gone from vinyl to now things being stored in the cloud. I feel yeah. like agriculture is very much at cassette level, you know, mm. where right now if I'm buying, you know, food from my favorite restaurant, it gets delivered at my door. You know, if I'm buying groceries, there's an app for that. You know, if I, I'm getting a cleanup from my place, there's an app for that. Whereas with agriculture, it's still at cassette level, you know, so it's very difficult for farmers to get the products that they need. And secondly, to get the services that they need. You know, agriculture is a very service-based business where you need an expert to walk your farm and say the best thing to apply is this, the best thing to apply is that, you have this bug and that bug. So the quality of service that a lot of first-generation farmers get is as good as the next guy you know. So if you're my neighboring farmer and I need someone to do some scouting for me, there's a good chance I'm going to say you, call you and say, hey, Mash, can you help me find a guy? So the quality of service I get is as good as the next person that you know. So with the Inputs app, we've taken the biggest names you can think of um, in the agricultural supply chain, so from a product side, so we've got the likes of Bayer, Monsanto, Syngenta, all of the big brands, about 90 of them, local and international, at launch. And we've basically loaded all of their products on the Inputs app and farmers can buy these products directly from the suppliers. And then they can pick them up at one of our depots. So we plugged into about 132 depots across the country. 
now putting the farmer in a position where instead of driving around to different locations to buy different things from their farm, they can easily pick them up from a single location, right? But not only that, if the order is above 25K, we actually can deliver directly to farm. And you'd, you'd understand that farmers actually buy seasonally. So they buy in bulk at the beginning of the season, um, which means usually the order quantities, quantities are quite bulky and we can deliver directly to them. So we've got 132 depots, um, over 90 suppliers listed on the system. But one of our precious assets that we have is actually our crop advisor network. So we partnered with big players in the industry. We have 190 crop advisors across the country that farmers can engage directly with if they're having a bug or a problem on their farm. You know, if the plant is not growing the way it should or it seems like there's some bug that's eating the, the plant, they can easily get access to this wide crop advisor network. So now we're putting... Um, a guy who just started and got a piece of land today and a guy who's been farming for 50 years on the same playing field where they have access to the same products and to the same quality um, of service. So that's the idea behind the Inputs app. And the ethos that we follow at Kula is really that the best way to assist a farmer is to give them access to quality, reliable and sustainable market. But Mm. we understand that it doesn't help them or us if we load every farmer on our fresh produce marketplace. So we want to give them the tools and the resources that they need in order for them to get ready. So the definition of Kula has changed where now Kula is really a digital ecosystem as opposed to just being the market access component. Now we're helping the farmer get the tools and services they need in order for them to succeed in the market. And then we're also giving them access to that market. And like I said, the fresh produce marketplace, we're really excited about it. The guy who's building it is super experienced um, and we'll be rolling it out uh, probably in six months or so. Yeah, this sounds like you guys are actually building out an ecosystem more than just like one app that yeah. someone can use to do a specific thing. Yeah. Um, can you speak about like what impact you want to drive through building out this ecosystem on yeah. different parts, right? It's from Whether it's from a market side or from a fresh produce, like producer yeah. Yeah. slash um, small yeah. scale farmer, like what does that ecosystem actually look like? Yeah, so, so the um, idea is that we realize that the industry is very interconnected. So if mm. you're solving for market access, you're going to quickly realize that you can't solve market access without logistics because how's the product going to get from farm to the buyer? And the buyer will tell you the truck that I want must be a refrigerated truck and it must have this spec, that spec, and I want to see what temperature the food in the truck is at for me to buy from those particular farmers. And a first generation guy doesn't have you know, access to that kind of uh, a truck because that truck is going to cost you 2 million rand minimum, you know? So the idea with the ecosystem is really to put, you know, if if I were to sum it up, is to make agriculture a financially viable alternative to a traditional job. If you look at the industry right now, you don't have a lot of young people coming into play because it doesn't make sense. It looks like hard work. It looks difficult. It looks tough. You know, it it doesn't look like a very attractive industry from a distance because the case for it, the financial case for it doesn't make sense. And I think at the crux of it, we want to make you know, agriculture a financially viable alternative for a young person to take, to take up and a financially viable alternative to a traditional job. And the example I always use is the Uber example. You know, none of us found the cab industry to be exciting in the beginning. It was a very mm. dull, boring industry. But Uber said to you, hey, Mash, you know, if you buy a, um, a Toyota Corolla and you're paying 4.5 installment, uh, per month, but if you put it on Uber, it's going to make you 35k. That maths is enough to get you excited about the cab industry and putting, you know, a car onto Uber. So we want to do a similar case with the ecosystem approach, where we're putting the farmer, um, the new, the first generation farmer, in a position where they know how they're going to get the products they need, how they're going to get the services that they need, 
how they're going to sell their products. And the one platform that closes the loop is our funder dashboard, which is where we pretty much match big funders in the country with the right farmers. So if you think about um, a big funder, it's usually a big company that's in Cape Town or that's in Johannesburg, you know, that has access to vast resources. Uh, but the farmer that probably meets their mandate is probably in Kwakwa, they're probably in Hazyview, Umtata, in some of the most remote regions of the country. So through the funder dashboard, we're able to basically match the right funder with the right farmer. So if you think about it, a fu- funder has a funding mandate. They get on and they say, look, I want to fund a black female farmer who's doing more than a million rand in revenue. So mm. we can filter and show um, the funder the, the farmers that meet sort of that, um, that framework, which makes it easier. So in a nutshell, the ecosystem approach is to level the playing field. We're not there to redo what's already being done, but to give better access, same access to the same products, same services, same market, which would help level the playing field at, and which will help build a proper case for a young person who's coming out of university or is in university who can say, actually, I want to take up agriculture. And I think that's the vision that we're going into, that we can actually remove the red tape, remove the fogginess and make it very simple to know what's my starting point and what's my ending point in building a successful agricultural business. Yeah. And what do you think is going to be the future of sort of agri-tech in South Africa? Are you already seeing young people going, oh, wow, you know, I've seen what Kula can do, like, and how agriculture has a lot of opportunities for I hate using this word, disruption. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are you already starting to see people starting to go, oh, wow, there might be an opportunity here. Let me get in. Let me try something, you know, try and make it more efficient, like really offer value that isn't there already. Yeah. Um, Because that's what you guys are doing. Yeah. So I think, you know, with young people these days, the proof is in the pudding. You know, they want to see a cooler successful. They want to to hear that, you know, the cooler founders are now have a net worth of such and such. And then that's when the lights uh, really come on. So I think agri-tech is very much at its infancy uh, in South Africa. And I think a lot of young people and entrepreneurs are kind of looking to see if a, a cooler can get it right. And I think the idea as well is that it's, it's a very closed off industry with very small circles. You know what I mean? Um, and it's difficult to break into. That's why even our approach has been through partnerships. So we've had to partner with the biggest agricultural bank on the continent. We've had to partner with the biggest logistics provider um, on the continent, the biggest uh, chemical distributor, the biggest seed company. And through them, we've sort of been validated in the ecosystem. So at this stage, because it's fairly at its infancy, um, it's difficult to break into. But I think a lot of people want to see, you know, what happens with aerobotics. Where do, where do they end up? What happens with Kula? And what happens with various other players within, within the space? And I'm, I'm hoping that over the next 18 months or so, we can truly demonstrate the power that lies in agriculture. Because if you think about it, Mesh, you know, we all eat. At the end of the day, food is not something you can subscribe or unsubscribe to. You know what mm. I mean? At, at the core of everything, this table, everything starts from, uh, from agriculture. You know? And even COVID was a true testament where everything else was falling apart, but business for us was picking up because um, there was a disruption in the food supply chain. So I think... Young people today are very much evidence-based. They want to see that, okay, Zuckerberg got it right in, so, in, so, in social networking and so-and-so Stripe got it right in payments. Therefore, there's an opportunity there. And I think in SA, they're kind of waiting for that moment where they can say, okay, Kula has, you know, yeah, has really got it right. And then they can begin getting into the sector. Because if you look into the sector, it's incredible the amount of opportunities. For me, it feels like the sector is probably about 15 years behind, especially from a supply chain perspective. 
but from the outside, it doesn't look very attractive, which is why we want to try and level the playing field and sort of build that case for agriculture. Yeah. And what do you think is the future specifically for for Kula? And did you actually see it playing out this way when you actually started? Because in our previous episode, like when we did the podcast, you went through the entire journey of how you started and all of yeah. that. And it's like so far from that now. Yeah. Um, what do you think the future is? And like, did you imagine it being what it is now versus w- when you started? I think the future is exciting. Um, I think when we started, I didn't imagine that we would have the ecosystem approach, for example. I think also we didn't imagine, we didn't imagine just how big the opportunity actually is. Um, I think, you know, we were looking at the produce side and how big the opportunity was from a market access perspective. But now on the input side, we're realizing how big, you know, the opportunity is. And I mean, maybe the best analogy to, to maybe uh, just share how lucrative an opportunity agriculture is. If you think about Uber Eats, you know, it's very much uh, one burger at a time or one sandwich at a time. You know, with agriculture, if you're moving a truckload of produce, you're probably moving about 500K, you know, per per single load, you know, per single order. Even on the input side, you know, the the farmers can buy anything from 30K, you know, to, to 10 million rand for a single order, depending on the size. So the opportunity even from a quantum perspective, is, is massive. And the opportunity from a, a how important it is perspective is massive. The fact that we live in Africa, but poverty is rife, that we have the world's, the most arable land in the world, 60% of it is on the African continent, but we're still complaining about hunger, but we're still buying more food than what we're selling, just speaks to how massive that opportunity is. So I think at this stage, looking back, I think I, we were not even aware of just how big the opportunity is. And I think the more and more you get closer to it, you realize that it keeps widening and it keeps widening it. And it, it goes back to the fact that at the end of the day, um, we have to eat. So you're not mm. going to go through an entire day. You have to eat. And each time you eat, that's agriculture. You know What you're wearing, that's agriculture. So the industry is woven into every single thing we do. But from the outside, it doesn't look very attractive. So a lot of young people kind of discard it and are not really recognizing the opportunities that exist there. Yeah. How did you, you know, if there was one to three, three, like one or three things that you used to validate that there was an opportunity here, right? Like you're talking about how young people might not see it from the outside. Yeah. And there's probably other industries that have the same sort of problem. Yeah. What are the things that you actually look to to validate, you know, from not necessarily the idea, but like you're already testing something. Yeah. What was the things that said, okay, yes, we yeah. need to go deeper and keep on doing yeah. this? So, I mean, the, the cooler story, I think I, I always like it because I think it's relatable. So, Matt and I have zero experience in agriculture. We have zero agricultural background. I did actuarial science. Matt it was doing um, the CA stream for accounting, you know. And literally, he goes to Israel, he comes back, and he says, the things I saw there were crazy. You know, a country on the desert, incredible agricultural production. We're like, wow, I wonder what it looks like on the continent. You look at the numbers. We have the world's most arable land. More than half the population of farmers, trillion dollar market prediction. We're thinking, damn, something's wrong here. Something's not making sense. Why are we buying more than what we're selling? Mm-hmm. Then from there, we're like, okay, let's actually be a fly on the wall. So what we did, we spent eight months with real farmers, just helping them pack, watching them go through their day to day. Through that process, we were like, sheesh, it's so hard for this guy to sell his stuff, you know? Um, and it was almost a journey from... From that, then we were like, okay, maybe we could find a way to connect these guys directly to market. So it was a journey of almost a, a step-by-step journey. But what underpins the entire journey is just starting. 
is just starting to do the research to say, okay, how big is the opportunity? If that excites you, you're like, okay, let me ask around some real people on the ground. That's even more exciting. So almost it's, it's, it's different layers, but you're not going to figure it out from a distance. So we had to start from the macro level to the South African level to the emerging farmer level and until we got to a point where we could build out a solution. And we went into an industry that we have zero experience in when we started. And the fact of having zero experience is actually a huge advantage. And I think a lot of people don't, you know, they think, oh, I don't know much about this industry, so I'm not going to go into it. Because you looking at it from an outside point of view, like mm. our biggest strength that we came in looking at agriculture from an outside point of view, even today, if you wake up in the morning and go to the fresh produce market in Joburg, at 4 a.m., 5 a.m., it looks like the stock market in 1920. People are stamping <laughs> on each other. I'm telling you, all these, the hawkers that sell on yeah, the side of the road, they yeah. go there first in the morning. They're stamping on each other. Hey, I want, I want that one. I want that one. I want that one. It's unbelievable that in this day and age, that's still happening, you know, today. So I think it's really about, um, about starting. And the fact that you're not from a particular industry is a huge advantage because the incumbents, are used to the way of doing things. They're comfortable with it. It works for them. But when you're coming in from the outside, you're able to pick up what's wrong and you're able to better sort of build the product and you build it by listening to the incumbents. Uh, I think uh, Henry Ford said something like if he had asked, you know, his customers what they wanted, they would have told them they wanted faster horses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think you, you almost, you also have to decipher what they're saying versus what they need. So it's like, okay, what you really want is this, but what you're saying is this, and then you kind of translate that into a product. So I think the cooler story, I hope it inspires someone out there because it's, it's a story of two guys who didn't even come from this industry, but are beginning to make sort of a positive impact within it. So there's nothing really, um, yeah, that should stop you from, from taking that leap. Yeah. So you guys are about to announce another funding um, round. Um, tell us more about that. Cool. So, yeah, we've raised, it's actually, we did a, almost a combined seed round. We did it in two phases. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a really exciting turning point for us. We didn't want to announce it last year because we wanted the hype to be meaningful. There's no point in just announcing and then you're just getting pats on the back. So right now we've tied it with the launch of the Input Marketplace because mm. you can say, oh, Kula Raise Funding, great. Here's a product to use. You know what I mean? So it's not just a pat on the back yeah. and just for swag. You know, so I think the... The, the fundraising process was a really interesting one where we went through all sorts of, you know, VCs, all sorts of, you know, just the normal route. Um, but we've found a company which uh, is ACI. And what ACI does essentially is that they, are, they work in the industry. So maybe the best way to, to put it across is that um, the success of Kula will be very positive for them as well. So they're not just as an investor um, sitting and then meeting, you know, meeting me, once every four months and saying, you know, how high is the profit? How many users do we have? How much money we're making? We're actually working with them on a daily basis to roll this out. And their business model and our business model are sort of very joined. So on the inputs market, the crop advisor network of 190 crop advisors, that's their, that's their crop advisor network. The 132 depots, those are their depots. So almost it's a good mashup because everyone kind of knows that, you know, tech is like a bullet train. You know, either you get on the train, get hit by the train or get left behind. And they wanted to take the leap in terms of, in terms of sort of leading, um, yeah, just leading the charge from a technology perspective. And it's been very hard for them to service um, the first generation farmers. It's too expensive for a crop advisor to go visit a farmer who's 40 kilometers away, who's only going to buy one bag of product. Mm. But now with the introduction of tech, We've sort of leveled the playing field where the crop advisor can engage with the farmer in a much easier in a much easier way, 
um, and we can almost aggregate the orders um, as opposed to them going out to convince um, a single farmer. So with them, it's really a... Yeah, an, an exciting relationship. Also, they've taken a minority stake. So we've maintained uh, very solid control of the company. Um, and I think even that speaks to the fact that it's a very much a relationship-based and practical you know, relationship where they're not coming on board to say, oh, we want 51% of your company. They've come in, they've taken a very small stake, and we're working together to basically roll out the product. We're working towards a Series A. We're hoping that in the next 18 to 24 months, I can come back here and I can say, look, um, we now, you know, we're expanding this across the continent um, or we're solidifying our footprint uh, within South Africa. So it's, it's a very exciting move. And what, the amazing thing is just that the, the whole company is backing us. So we have a team on day one of probably more than 300 people uh, that I have to talk to. I mean, we've just mm. been doing a tour right now across the country to all the 190 crop advisors. Um, we don't, haven't even needed to build an HR component in our business because we, we make use of their HR resources. We leverage off of their legal resources and it's just been a perfect fit and a practical relationship that speaks to their day-to-day, that speaks to our day-to-day. And I think at seed round, that's very important. You don't want an investor who's going to meet you every four months and say, how's my profits doing? How's yeah. that doing? So we joined at the hip. We're executing daily together to try and get this right and it's really exciting for us. What would you say are the things that you really hold on to that help you keep building the way that you're building like is there a philosophy that you yeah. really like leverage very strongly on yeah i think you know i have a few um i think you know the main thing is i believe in a user-driven approach so i think the, one of the things we always say at kula that we, we're not the smartest guy in the room and we're proud of it so whatever room we go into we do a lot of listening we do a lot of questions so a lot of how we've done the rollout has been user-driven and I think it boils down to, you know, you, whether you want to call it pivoting, but, mm-hmm. you know, having that flexibility to not holding on to your initial thing and saying, no, this must work. But we actually do a lot of listening and the rollout has been user driven. So every button on the system, I can tell you, we have a bulk buying feature because of a farmer in Brits, a commercial farmer, Gerald. You know, we have the inputs market, which was inspired by Owen. And almost every single button, every feature that we've added, I can tell you how it came about. So the approach we've taken is a very user-driven approach. And I think it's important when you um, are sort of rolling out a startup to not be set uh, on your initial assumptions, to allow your assumptions to be challenged. And then as you roll out, let the users tell you what they need, let the industry tell you what they need, and then you decipher it. And then you build a product that sort of, yeah, that makes sense. So I think that's a, that's a very big thing. And I think also failure is a positive. So when you get it wrong, when it doesn't work out, when things are bad, I think for me, the, the big achievement is hitting rock bottom. I think if I look back on my entrepreneurial journey, when we hit rock bottom and we couldn't pay rent and everything was just horrible and people want their loans back and everything was just bad and you don't know how you're going to pay rent, you don't know how you're going to pay for petrol, that for me is a success point. So if you're an entrepreneur and you reach that point, that's a success point because you know what it means? It means things can't get worse. So at that point, it can't get worse. Mm. So from there, you only go up. And I think that's the energy that we've taken into Kula, where we're saying, once we hit rock bottom, I was like, okay, like from here on, we can only build on this and we can only go forward. So failure in itself is a route to success. And I think a lot of people don't view it in in, in that way. So user-driven approach, be open to getting it wrong. Let the users drive what you want them to build. Because ultimately, I'm not building Kula for me. I'm not a farmer. I'm not an input supplier. 
I'm not a fresh produce buyer. Ultimately, we're building it for them. So we, we're not building a product that's great for Caritas, but we're building a product that's great for the users and we have to listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's amazing. I just <laughs> think it's incredible, like the growth that you've experienced over just a year. And like, um, I look forward to what the future will hold for the platform that you're building and the work that you're doing. Yeah. Um, just to end off, what one piece of advice would you give an entrepreneur that, or just what, what's the one piece of advice that you would give someone yeah. that wanted to start a business that you wish you, you, you actually got when you started yours? The one piece of advice, sheesh, um, I think number one is to start because I think people look for a playbook and it doesn't exist. People look for, you know, you, online you can Google the seven steps to this and that and the, the three steps to this and that. Um, and I think when it comes to entrepreneurship, a big milestone is just the actual starting. Mm. Um, it's the actual starting and viewing failure as almost a means to success. So almost each time you fail, you've taken a step forward. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that, yeah, that's a, a, real, a real major one. And I think the other thing is to start with what you have. So I think often, you know, especially in SA, we have a big culture of I need to get funding. I need to get the right connections. I need to get connected. I need to do, but start with what you have. And I think the cooler story began with the VW Polo that Matt and I were sharing and just loading spinach at the back of that Polo. You know, it wasn't a certified vehicle to move product um, with guys who don't have a background. Almost, we, we almost, if you look at the industry, almost started from zero, but we started with what we had leverage off of what we held, had and then sort of built on top of that but one major thing is just to start I think that is a major achievement and then to fail each time you fail you've made you've taken a step forward and when you hit rock bottom that's the best place to be because from there things can only go up cool thank you so much man awesome. really appreciate the time awesome. I know you're going to a big meeting so all the best <laughs> <laughs> thanks, 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 cool. thanks thank you for having me again really appreciate it To access previous episodes of this podcast, but also again access to other shows on our network, please visit lucha.com.